like that. You want to try that. Hello, welcome to this Friday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. Yes, let's give me a round of applause real quick. I have officially recorded the first show of this week. The first show in a week. It has been uh, somewhat of a struggle, (laughs) I guess. And it's been, it's nothing like too ridiculous for why we haven't been recording a show or why we haven't been extremely consistent or as consistent as we've been in the past. It's just how situations work out sometimes. Like Sunday was the Super Bowl and we will go fully in depth into Super Bowl, whatever the hell number it was, LVI, I think it's 56, I could be wrong, I I don't know Roman numerals too well, and then Tuesday we just had a lot of other stuff going on at the time, so we just couldn't, couldn't find time to record one, so now we're back on Friday, and then, fondly enough, we're going to be back to an inconsistent schedule again, because next Tuesday, so Tuesday night, I will be going to an Iowa basketball game, this will be my first ever Iowa basketball game at Carver Hawkeye Arena. If you remember correctly, I went to Iowa Iowa State back in, I think, December. Or was it in January? No, it was definitely in December. I don't remember when exactly it was, though, but it was my first ever trip to Hilton Coliseum. I'd been in Ames numerous times before, whether it was at Iowa State games for football or just visiting friends up in Ames. But I'd never been to Hilton Coliseum. I'd never even been inside it before. But I do know the history surrounding Hilton Coliseum, how the Hilton Magic, how it's one of the, the best home court advantages, and not just in Iowa, to the entire country in regards to college basketball. No matter how good Iowa State has been over the years, that place always is rocking. From what I was told. And then we went to Iowa, Iowa State, two teams that were that were good. I think Iowa had some, you know, they'll be somewhere they'll be above average record wise, but nothing too spectacular. And Iowa State, I mean, they just won two games the season before. There, there was really, like, we're talking about the bar, like, below the bar and below the bar that was set below that bar. That's what Iowa State was at this year. You hired a new head coach. Now, granted, they got a few transfers. Isaiah Brockington was coming in, which was a very exciting transfer, and he's been very good for Iowa State this year. He's been their best player. But nothing was expected of him. Nothing really expected. And they go out to this insane start. And then the Iowa State game was really, like, hyped up more than it had been in a little bit. At least that's what I felt like anyways. And Iowa State blitzed them. And that place was rocking. And I, I think I said this on the t- at the time when we went, we did a show afterwards, that they did F. Bohannon chants about 12 times. And then the student section, they have two student sections, which I always find really cool about Hilton Coliseum, which I discovered this year, so I shouldn't say I always found it cool. I found it cool since I went. But one of the student sections by the band was chanting one more year, which is ironic, or fun, not ironic, but it's funny because Bohannon has been there since, I think he's been through, what, three presidential terms? Obama, Trump, and now Biden. I think that's true. I wouldn't honestly be too surprised if he went through Bush as well. <laughs> it just feels like how long he's been there. But that, that was really awesome. That atmosphere is sweet. And I, from what I know about Carver... I've been in Carver a few times, never to actually watch a sporting event, more to just go to the bathroom when I'm at <laughs> Iowa football game and I'm tailgating right outside there. But from what I heard, if we're talking just specifically basketball, Carver's atmosphere is next to nothing. Now, Carver is completely different atmosphere when you're talking about wrestling, because in the state of Iowa, wrestling is king. Wrestling is everything here. Like, the state tournament, the state championships for wrestling at Wells Fargo Arena, if you have never been to that, I would highly recommend you go to that it is one of, especially championship day I think it's championship Sunday I don't remember exactly what day the championships are on but either way it's an awesome atmosphere wrestling in general is just a very fun sport to go to but Carver for wrestling is insane 
basketball. Basically just call it a retirement home. It might now I don't I shouldn't say this like I'm an expert about this or anything. But from what I have gathered, it has to be one of the worst atmospheres in regards to the Big Ten. I would even put it below maybe well, again, I, I can't really go off what <laughs> What I, I get, well, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm rambling here because I don't really know what to go off of. But I've been to UNI games when it's been sold out, and that place is rocking. The McLeod Center is rocking when that place sells out. But Carver, it sounds like all the, the donors are near the front instead of the fans, so the fans get pushed up higher, so the atmosphere kind of gets sucked out of the building, from what I could tell. It's a cool place. Like walking inside and just going straight down, I think is really cool. Again, I've never been there for a game, but when I go in to go to the bathroom, it's really fun, and I enjoy it. But I'm excited. I think it's against Michigan State, and from what my friend said, now this is from my friend, so do not quote me on this. He said they're retiring Luca Garza's number. Now, I was under the impression they did that on senior day, but I could be wrong because I think Iowa also just gives the players their numbers anyways. I'm not saying that I'm 100% confident in it. I'm also not saying I'm <laughs> – I don't know. I haven't done the proper research. I got texted about it today. We bought $30 tickets today, and <laughs> that's all I know. I looked up who they were playing today. Because, again, I've, I've said this on the show before. I was never a massive Iowa basketball fan growing up. I was really an Iowa basketball fan because, oh, I like the Iowa Hawkeyes football team. That means I should probably cheer for the Iowa Hawkeyes basketball team. So I've never really had a, a close, tight-knit relationship with Iowa basketball, especially when I was a kid because Iowa was terrible. The Todd Licklider era, for those of you young enough to not remember that, you're very lucky. Trying to watch John Licklider play basketball is like, basically, it was like me walking out there in a D1 court and playing Big Ten basketball. I am not qualified for that, and neither was John Licklider, but his last name was Licklider, and I think Todd is still at Evansville, which is very cool. I went to the UNI Evansville game with Noah, who's one of the people I'm going to the game with, and that was <laughs> just hilarious. See, that's Todd Licklider right there. That's Todd Licklider, and I used to go to the iClub with one of my friends who's all ironically the other person I'm going with to this game and we went twice and Todd Lickletter got booed so much it was ridiculous <laughs> it's like this is an Iowa Hawkeyes based club that meets like once or twice a year and you are getting blasted by the people that you know are supposed to be your fans <laughs> and uh, they are not no one in their right mind if you're claimed to be an Iowa Hawkeye fan during the Todd Lickletter era was very happy Jake Kelly, Andrew Brommer, I mean, Matt Gatons was there. Was he there for Todd Licklider or was he after? That that year, that era kind of runs in together. I don't really remember when Licklider ended and Fran McCaffrey came in. But again, I'm not a uh, Kelly. Coley Payne was another one in that era. But Jake Kelly, I remember him because he was like the six foot seven, 160 pound point guard who transferred to Indiana State like after two years at Iowa. wasn't anything spectacular or anything, so it wasn't like he was m missed mightily by the Iowa Hawkeyes, but I'm excited. I'm excited. Regardless of how the atmosphere is, I think it'll be fun. I've never been, before this year, had never been to an Iowa State basketball game or an Iowa basketball game. And I thought I killed two burns with one stone, which I technically did by going to the Iowa State game. But I'd never been to Hilton, and I'd never been to Carver for games. So this is going to be an exciting time. But we're not going to have a show next Wednesday. Hopefully, though, we get more consistent as the year continues to progress because this is kind of – it's long. It's very long right now. <laughs> I apologize for that. But before we get into everything we're going to talk about today, I would like to remind everybody to make sure you're following The Logan Blackman Show on all forms of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and, of course, the Apple Podcast and Spotify account. And all those accounts be found at Logan underscore Blackman on Twitter. There is a show account still out there, but I've never – I haven't used it 
in about two years, I think. Logan Blackman Show Twitter account is still there, but I don't follow it because there's nothing on there. And then you've got the Instagram account. Blackman Logan is my personal account. The Logan Blackman Show 1. Make sure the and 1 are at the beginning and an end of that. YouTube and Facebook. Just search Logan Blackman Show. should pop up. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. And make sure you give a thumbs up on the Facebook page. And, of course, since you're listening to it right now, maybe you should think about subscribing and or following the Apple Podcast and Spotify accounts. And also leave a rating out of five stars. Because, again, like we said on Friday... You can now do that on Spotify. Now, I shouldn't say now you can do that. I guess I never really knew that you could do that before. Maybe it's a thing you could have always done, and I've never broadcast that. But we're at like 14 ratings or something on Apple Podcasts, so if you would be so kind as if you haven't rated it, give it a five-star or a four-star or three or two or one-star rating so we can get to 15 ratings on Apple Podcasts, I would greatly appreciate it. It doesn't matter what you rate it as as long as you leave a rating because uh, that makes me feel pretty good about myself. So with that, <laughs> I I would like to use this as a disclaimer. This is the second time I've recorded this show. This is the second time. I got done with work today. We had a very light day at work. And I went home and started recording. And as I kept talking, I felt like I was falling asleep. I had a Mountain Dew next to me. Now, I you, I kicked for about two years. I kicked my caffeine addiction or more of a pop addiction than anything. But I kicked it. I drank nothing but water, and then I don't know what happened. I got back on it, and now I'm, I'm, I don't know, I need it to function. As the day goes on, like in the morning, I I do it sometimes, but I don't need it like at lunch or anything, but once it gets to like 3 o'clock, I'm like, ooh, I'm dragging. And then when you got to record a potentially hour or longer show, it gets a little daunting to go, oh yeah, I'm not running on anything right now. I had Chick-fil-A for lunch and a lemonade. I had no caffeine prior to this. My heart is barely beating as it is. I need it to speed up a little bit. Because <laughs> the joke there is that the Chick-fil-A clogged up my arteries. Yeah, you got that, you got that, you got that. But yeah, I was not doing very well. The show, when I got to about the 40-minute mark, 45-minute mark, I sat there and told the... I was talking to my microphone, as you know, as you do as record a show, and went, wow, I'm I'm struggling right now. And just sat there for about a minute and said, yep, paused it, went upstairs for a little bit, drank a Mountain Dew, came back downstairs, and just canceled the recording. I deleted the entire episode. So everything that was said at that show might get repeated here. Who knows? Hopefully the order's better because I remember, from what I do remember about that show, I mean, I, I talk about it like it was like a year ago or something. But what I remember about it is that we went through different tangents and then it was like, oh crap, we should talk about this. Oh crap, we need to go back to talk about this. That was not good. And I, I'm not saying that I'm an expert or anything when it comes to the, the broadcasting waves of sports radio or something, but I do like to think that I know when my show sounds good, and it didn't sound good. It sounded pretty bad, actually. So we're going to try and keep things in a relatively straight line, because if not, things will start getting screwed around, and I don't really want to do that. But the main thing you guys are here for is recap of Super Bowl, whatever number it was, LVI, I think 56, with the LA Rams beating the Cincinnati Bengals 23-20. And you remember on Friday, I talked about, I wanted the, I was not only cheering for the Cincinnati Bengals, but I thought they were going to win. I didn't have any real reason behind it, other than the fact, I just thought they would win. And I even said on the show, do not press me about it. If you see me in person and ask me why I think the Bengals, I'm not going to give you a firm answer, because I don't know. It was more of a gut feeling type thing, and my score prediction was 24-20. If I remember correctly, I think it was. That's what I was telling people on Sunday. 
before the game anyways, and not afterwards, because I'll be oh, man, my score is 24-20. You didn't say that before the game? Ah, well, I was thinking it the entire time, just didn't think to say it. And it was almost exactly right if the Rams didn't botch an extra point. So 23-20, L.A. Rams, it's fine. It's the better team, I guess you could say, won the game. But I think a lot of people going into this game are really overlooking the Cincinnati Bengals. I think they a lot of people thought they were overmatched, and by some aspects they are. And a lot of people were pointing to the Rams' defensive line against the Bengals' offensive line, which is a fair, 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 fair way to judge this. But people are kind of sleeping. We've talked about this before. People are kind of sleeping on the Bengals' defense. Secondary, apart from Jesse Bates, is nothing special. I mean, like we've talked about before, it's basically a who's who of who's been cut from around the NFL, former first-round corners that have been cut from their current team or past team. Like, you have... Uh, what's his name? Eli Apple, who's been getting blasted on social media recently. Then you have Vernon Hargraves, who got a 15-yard penalty to even play in the game. Then you got um, Trey Waynes, former Vikings corner. I don't think he got cut from Minnesota. I think he just signed there as a free agent. But either way, Shadobi Awuze, I don't know if he got cut from the Cowboys, but he's on the Bengals now too. So just a who, I think they call it second chance you or something like that. They said it on the broadcast. I never heard it before. It was like second chance. To, it was something about second chance. I don't remember. But Eli Apple's on like his fourth chance right now. I think he's played for the, the Giants, Saints, Raiders, and Ravens. If he hasn't played for the Ravens, he certainly talked a lot of shit about Baltimore. <laughs> he said a lot of things. I get he plays for the Bengals too. But yeah, the Bengals rush defense. We've talked about this a bunch on the show. About how their run defense is really good, which is why I went with the Bengals over the Titans. Everyone's talking about, oh, Derrick Henry's back. Bengals have a top five rush D. This isn't some scrub-ass defense. This isn't the old Bengals teams from a few years ago. I mean, you did have, like, the Vontez Burfitt, Patman Jones defense. That was pretty decent. But this run defense is good. Logan Wilson at linebacker. Then you got Trey Hendrickson, who was seen as basically, when he was leaving the New Orleans Saints, as one of those players that you look at and go, okay, this guy's not really anything. It was more of a flash-in-the-pan type thing, meaning that basically he was good for one year and he's not going to keep up that same pace for the rest of his career. And people were kind of felt vindicated by that because you look at his career before that, he had two sacks, zero sacks, and four and a half sacks. And then he shot up to 13 and a half. He had nine sacks in one season. So everybody was like, yeah, he's just a one hit, one hit wonder pretty much. And he got 14 this year. Like Trey Hendrickson is the real deal. This dude is a freaking baller. And then you got people like B.J. Hill in the middle of the defense, D.J. Reader in there as well. But that D-line is very underrated. I don't think it gets enough national credit that it should because it's very, very good. The secondary, again, nothing special apart from Jesse Bates. And then offensively, people talk about the wide receivers, but this running game is really good as well. Joe Mixon, another very underrated player. What, third in the league in rushing yards this year? I don't. Maybe I'm just completely oblivious to the fact that he gets talked about, but I don't feel like Joe Mixon gets talked about in the same breath as like Nick Chubb, his Ohio partner. Like... I don't think he gets mentioned up there. And Joe Mixon's Mr. Consistent with how bad the Bengals' O-line has been over the past three or four years, however long he's been in the league, to be a consistent 1,000-yard rusher, not only that, never fumble the ball. I, I think he's fumbled like once in his NFL career or something. It was last year. Okay, he fumbled, tw- uh, lost fumbles. He's lost three fumbles in five years in the NFL. And he only played six games last year. But he got, he was, you know, it's Joe Mixon. He was going to get those yards anyways if he stayed healthy. But yeah, before last year, he had fumbled one time, and that was his rookie season. He went two whole years without fumbling. Two whole years. That's some Ladanian Tomlinson-type stuff right there. But the Bengals, all their problems circulate across the offensive line. Everybody knew that. So you're talking about Aaron Donald, Von Miller, all these stars on this defense for the Rams are going to blow up this Bengals offense. 
But then I, I was sitting there, and I was like, apart from Donald Miller and Ramsey, who else do they have on their defense, really? Like, they brought Eric Weddle off the couch to play in the Super Bowl. Not even play in the Super Bowl in the playoffs, but to be their play caller on defense. Like, they brought him off the street. They're nothing, like, insane outside of the big three we just mentioned. Like, not really. Like, Leonard Floyd, all right player. But nothing really that goes, wow, this guy's amazing. We have to stop. Like, Leonard Floyd, nine and a half sacks this year. So I shouldn't be talking on, down on him too much. Back-to-back seasons where he almost had 10 sacks. He had 10 and a half last year. So maybe I shouldn't be talking down on Leonard Floyd too much. But like, I don't fear the Rams' defense all too much, apart from Aaron Donald, of course. Aaron Donald's the greatest defensive player of all time. So I'm not really going to sit here and scare or be talking down on Aaron Donald. And he blew up the Bengals' O-line in the last drive of the game. He blew up Quentin. This, 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 so the play that ended the game, the sack against Joe Burrow, is getting talked about a lot, and rightly so. The play before... He grabbed Joe Mixon on third and one, used his arms to yank back <laughs> Joe Mixon. And Joe Mixon is not a small running back. He's 6'1", 220 pounds. And he just arm-tackled him, and he was getting pushed back at the same time and arm-tackled Joe Mixon and brought him down. Awesome. But my favorite part about the Super Bowl, no, it wasn't the result. It wasn't how good some of the players played. It was how bad one of them played. And that's Jalen Ramsey. Jalen Ramsey got cooked for either 146 or 164 yards in the game by a rookie and T. Higgins. Now, I know a lot of people out there, if the Rams lost this game because of the T. Higgins 75-yard touchdown play, the first play of the second half, oh my God, I was ready for it. I could not wait to wait a whole, just an entire offseason where Jalen Ramsey is bitching about a non-face mask call. But the Rams won, so they can't really say anything about it now. But <laughs> if that happened, if the Bengals won, that play would be everywhere, and that would be karma from the NFC Championship game the last time the Rams went to the Super Bowl with uh, Nikel Roby Coleman bashing the receiver <laughs> non-pass interference call. But man, and that was in a more, that was in a worse spot anyways. Like that, I think that was in overtime, or at least in the end of the fourth quarter. That was in the first play of the second half. Like, they had plenty of time to rectify that, but... <laughs> Oh, that was one of the reasons I wanted Josh to be in the Super Bowl so bad. Josh Allen beating Jalen Ramsey in a Super Bowl would make would be the one of the greatest Super Bowls ever. Jalen Ramsey, I don't think has been more wrong about a out of all the quarterbacks he talked shit on in that GQ interview. The one he's more wrong on the most was Josh Allen, which is why I dislike Jalen Ramsey that much. And I just think he's one of those people that will go on Twitter or do some completely uncalled for things. And then go on Twitter and go, only God can judge me. It's like, what? And post a Bible verse. It's like, you're a piece of garbage. Don't go on Twitter and try to back up on your religion. Don't do that. If you're going to tweet that, act like that as well. Don't go, oh, only God can judge me. Then act like it. Don't be a dickbag everywhere you go. And then tweet that after the afterwards. Like he got in a fight with Golden Tate's sister, and I think I saw something that Golden he got Golden Tate's sister pregnant and then dumped her pretty much. So Golden Tate is rightfully pissed off about that. And Jalen Ramsey posts on Twitter some Bible verse. Like, screw off. And then you call Josh Allen trash before he played in the NFL, and then go on the whole thing. I think it was a waste of draft pick. Like, that's what we need. We need Josh Allen. I was at the Josh Allen versus Jalen Ramsey game. The first and only time, or second, I guess the first time they played, because they played when Jalen was in, in L.A. and Josh threw a touchdown against him to Diggs. 
awkward. Josh has beaten Jalen Ramsey both times he's played them. And that game was awesome. Jacksonville Jaguars for Buffalo Bills game in 2018 is my favorite football game I've ever been to. That is my favorite. Uh, it's in top three. It has to be. The atmosphere in that game was awesome. And Lee, uh, Leonard Fournette and Shaq Lawson got ejected at the same time. The Bills have one tunnel, and they brought them to the tunnel at the exact same time. And we were at the tunnel. It was beautiful. No one even paid attention to the play. The Bills made a stop on fourth and goal on the opposite end of the field, but no one reacted to it because everybody was watching Leonard Fournette and Shaq Lawson getting car- <laughs> guided to the tunnel. But I loved, loved, loved watching Jalen Ramsey get torched by Jamar Chase. I love Jamar Chase. And the more and more I watch him, the more and more I feel vindicated by saying the Bengals should draft him. I know a lot of people out there saying the Bengals should draft him off the line. And that's fair. I completely understand that. Joe Burrow got sacked seven times in the Super Bowl. He got sacked 19 times in the postseason, which is a playoff record. He got sacked 70 times this season, including the postseason. Which I think, (laughs) if we're talking about players that could have used an offensive line, he got sacked 70 times. That's regular season and postseason combined. 51 times regular season, 19 playoffs. For those of you who can't do the math. Doesn't that tell you how insane Derek Carr's sack record is? David Carr sacks record is David Carr got sacked 76 times his rookie year. So when we're looking at like the biggest busts in NFL history, David Carr was a number one overall pick for the Houston Texans, the expansion Texans. And no one really looks at David Carr as one of the big, he doesn't, no one puts him up there with like Jamarcus Russell, with Ryan Leaf, with players of that caliber because he got, he got killed. 76 times. Joe Burrow got sacked that much. In 17 plus 4. So 21 games. It took him to get 70. David Carr got sacked 76 times in 16 games. That is insane. So I'm not ever surprised when David Carr doesn't get mentioned in that category. Even with like Joey Harrington and players like that. Akili Smith. Those players. I will never mention David Carr in that. Because that dude never got a freaking chance in Houston. He was set up to die down there. And he did, <laughs> and then went to, went to the Giants, or Carolina, and then the Giants, and then backed up Eli, and then played one year in San Fran, and it just, 76 times, he got sacked 267 times, and just what, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 years, 11, he didn't play one year, 11 years, and he was only a starter for five of those, he was a backup the rest of it. <laughs> Oh, my God. I feel bad for David Carr. I feel bad. And that's why Derek Carr ended up dropping in the draft a little bit, because his brother was David Carr. <laughs> that's one of the reasons. It doesn't sound like it's real, but that's one of the reasons David Carr, Derek Carr fell in the draft, because his brother did not do so well in the NFL. And David Carr is a lot older than Derek. I think he's like 11 years older or something like that. I could be wrong. I guess I don't know how old Derek Carr is. So David Carr is 42. Derek Carr is what? 30. So he's 12 years older than Derek Carr. But yeah, that's that's a brutal number. But yeah, the Bengals obviously are going to go after an offensive lineman in the first pick. Maybe even the second pick as well. They've got to address the right side. The left side is generally fine. At least you would have said that before the Super Bowl until Quentin Spain got lit up by Aaron Donald. But the right side's garbage. It's pretty much all backups. I mean, Riley Reef was added this offseason, but he got hurt. So he hasn't really played that much. He's been on IR since sometime in... I don't have the number in front of me. I don't remember exactly when he... But he got put on IR. And, yeah, not a great look. 
So they're going to need to adjust that, but I think the Jamar Chase pick, even right now, watching Joe Burrow get sacked as many times as he has, is still the right choice. The only reason, really, Jamar Chase got drafted in Cincinnati is because Joe Burrow was the quarterback. If there was some other random Joe Schmo at quarterback in Cincinnati, Jamar Chase wouldn't have been the pick. Panay Sewell would have been the pick. But since Joe Burrow was there, you back your quarterback. And they got Jamar Chase, who broke almost, or not almost, he broke every single rookie receiving record, postseason and regular season. And he cooked Jalen Ramsey at least twice in the Super Bowl, which was beautiful to see. Now, for Bengals fans, I know this might sound like a little sad stat, but each of the last 16 QBs to lose in their, first, in their Super Bowl debut have never made it back to the big game. This is as a starter. Like, we're going back a long ways here. 16 quarterbacks. And the first one is my favorite one, Stan Humphreys for the Chargers. Got ass-blasted by the 49ers and Jerry Rice in the Super Bowl. Then Neil O'Donnell, who basically just he threw two picks to Larry Brown and then somehow corralled that into a massive deal with the Jets. Then Drew Bledsoe, my favorite player growing up when I was before LaDainian Tomlinson. Chris Chandler. <laughs> it's Chris Chandler. Not really a lot you can say about Chris Chandler. Uh, Steve McNair, one of my favorite quarterbacks of all time. Kerry Collins, my favorite Super Bowl quarterback duel of all time. Kerry Collins versus Trent Dilfer. Rich Gannon, another great one. Rich Gannon versus Brad Johnson. Jake DeLome and the Panthers when they lost to Tom Brady. One of the more underrated Super Bowls of all time. Great Super Bowl. Uh, Don McNabb lost to Brady Hasselbeck. Lost to Ben Roethlisberger, Rex Grossman, Sexy Rexy. Loses to Peyton Manning, Colin Kaepernick in the Ravens Super Bowl. Then we got Cam Newton in the Broncos. Matt Ryan to the Patriots. Jared Goff to the Rams, or to the, the Patriots as well. And Jimmy Garoppolo to the Kansas City Chiefs. And speaking of Matt Ryan, this has kind of been something that's popped up recently on social media. And it's something that I want to try and nip in the bud before it gets really big. Well, I act like I've got a big platform here to talk about that this situation, but... After this Super Bowl, and Richard Sherman was in on this on Twitter afterwards about Matt Stafford possibly being mentioned in the Hall of Fame. I have never once in my entire life of watching the NFL and Matt Stafford have thought this dude's a Hall of Famer. I think Matt Stafford is an awesome quarterback. I think he is a great quarterback. Like, he has some insane arm talent. He played in Detroit, so people just feel sorry for him. He's probably going to get in off pity votes because... Man, he never got a chance in Detroit. We can't vote people in the Hall of Fame like that. You can't. Because I think Matt Stafford gets a little too much of a pass for having Calvin frickin' Johnson on his team for about six, seven years, and then a receiving core of Marvin Jones, Kenny Galladay, and Golden Tate, which is not a bad receiving core at all. Not to mention he had Eric Ebron, who went off with the Indianapolis Colts right after he left Detroit. Like, what, he doesn't have a running game? Well, Josh Allen doesn't have a running game. Josh Allen hasn't really had an issue making it to the playoffs. He's made it the past two years. He made it two or his last three years. Three of his four years in the NFL, Josh Allen's made the playoffs without a running game. Oh, he didn't have a defense. Well, Drew Brees, when he was in this Super Bowl, they didn't have a defense. Saints haven't had a defense apart from like the past two or three or four years. Saints' defense was nothing that special growing up. And Drew Brees won a Super Bowl. Like what? Matt Stafford got traded to a built team ready for a Super Bowl with the greatest defensive player of all time, and then got Vaughn Miller and Odell Beckham Jr. in trades, Cooper Cup. Like what? Why are what made him a Hall of Famer? Now I don't remember anybody ever having this conversation until Sunday. I don't remember this ever even being a talking point on any show ever that Matt Stafford was a Hall of Famer. Like I know Matt Stafford threw for five thousand yards one year. I get he was, I think he threw 50 touchdowns this season, but he also led the league in interceptions. He was the first quarterback in Super Bowl, no, the second one 
in Super Bowl history to win a Super Bowl while leading the league in interceptions. And he threw two bad ones in the Super Bowl. At least the first one was really bad. The second one, you could give that up to the receiver tipping it up. But it wasn't a good throw. It was not a good throw. Matt Stafford had like three or four weeks in a row this season where he threw a pick six. Like, Matt Stafford is a fun quarterback to watch. He's pretty easy to root for. But never in my life have I sat down and gone, Matt Stafford's a Hall of Famer. No, he's never in my lifetime been a top five quarterback. How are we going to stick him in the Hall of Fame? Really? And because if, if we're sticking Stafford in the Hall of Fame, we've got to stick Matt Ryan in. And then we're starting to get this deluded era of Hall of Fame quarterbacks that, oh yeah, they were good, but never this. Matt Stafford at least has, or Matt Ryan at least has an MVP. Matt Ryan put up insane numbers to win an MVP in 2016. And Matt Ryan got drafted a year before Stafford and has almost 10,000 more passing yards than him. A year. Not to mention he only has nine more interceptions. Like, I have never thought that Stafford was a Hall of Fame quarterback. And I still don't. I don't care that he won a Super Bowl. I really don't care. Trent Dilfer won a Super Bowl. Jeff Hosteller won a Super Bowl. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, it's the sympathy thing that Matt Stafford played in Detroit, never got a chance. He gets traded to the L.A. I don't care. Like, Joe Flacco has a Super Bowl. There's a lot of quarterbacks. That have, so there's, there's actually 56 quarterbacks that have Super Bowl rings. Not all 56 of them are Hall of Famers. It's not how this works. You got traded to a team that was built to go to the Super Bowl. It wasn't like you got traded to some team like the Buccaneers and when they went 7-9 the season before, and then lead them to a Super Bowl. Now, Tom Brady didn't get traded there, but that's the difference. The Buccaneers were not a Super Bowl team until Tom Brady got there. The Rams were already a Super Bowl. They'd been to the Super Bowl already. they already been. <laughs> like, this isn't something that was a new revelation to them. They went three years ago, or four years ago, however long that Super Bowl was. <laughs> why, why is he in the conversation for Hall of Fame now? Never once have I thought this, and now it's blowing up my social media feed. It's everywhere. And I know I heard the argument about Eli Manning. Eli Manning would be borderline if not for the Super Bowls, but Eli Manning is one of five players ever in the history of the NFL to win two Super Bowl MVPs. Matt Stafford wasn't even the MVP of this game. Two other players on his team, Aaron Donald and Cooper Cup, were way more deserving than Matt Stafford was, and Cooper Cup ended up winning it. Cooper Cup and Calvin Johnson have the two highest number of yards in a single season in NFL history. Conveniently, their quarterback was Matt Stafford. Like, you're just going to throw to one person the entire time. It's going to pad my stats a bunch. I think it was like Stat Padford or something like that. And again, I like Matt Stafford. But let's stop on the Hall of Fame thing. Let's stop that. That's done. That's done. <laughs> like, Phil Simms has two Super Bowls, and he ain't in the Hall of Fame. And he beat John Elway for one. Now, he didn't play in the second one because he was hurt, but he was on the Giants team that beat the Buffalo Bills in 1990. So, no, I am never going to be on this train of Matt Stafford's Hall of Famer. Now, he could change my mind. If he goes on to win two or three more Super Bowls, or one or two or three more Super Bowls, then, yeah, you can have the conversation. But right now, no. No. And I saw people bring up Russell Wilson. We're not comparing Stafford to Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson has been a top three quarterback about 90% of his career, has been to a Super Bowl, has won another one, and this until this year, the year he got hurt, 
The Seahawks never had a losing record with him as his quarterback. And until, like, other than the first, like, what, three years of Russell Wilson's tenure in Seattle, the Seahawks' defense has been ass. Their O-line has been ass. But they had a running game and had receivers, so that makes him not better than Stafford. Russell Wilson has consistently been a top five, at least, quarterback. Top three to some. And he was hurt this year, the conveniently the one year that Seahawks don't make the playoffs with him as a quarterback, so the year he gets hurt. We're not comparing Russell Wilson to Stafford. We are not doing that. I refuse to have that conversation. I saw Dan Orlovsky having it on Twitter. No, we're not doing that. Two different levels here. Like, you're just saying who has a Super Bowl, who's in the Hall of Fame, and we're, we're going to compare him to that now. No, he's not. <laughs> Matt Stafford is not a Hall of Famer. And, and, and now, right now, he's not. I want to make that abundantly clear. Right now, Matthew Stafford is not a Hall of Famer. That can change. That I am open to that changing. I like Matthew Stafford. But as of right now, on January, or February 17th, Matt Stafford is not a Hall of Famer. But if he wins the Super Bowl again, then yes, he will be in the Hall of Fame. Yes, he will be. And I don't want to see people like bringing up quarterbacks from like the 60s because numbers are just ridiculous, like insanely different. And you can't go really off yards anymore because you go like, oh, well, Matt Stafford has this many yards than Joe Montana. Completely different styles of NFL back then. We're not doing that either. And before you say Joe Montana got carried by Jerry Rice, Joe Montana won a Super Bowl before Jerry Rice. So let's not do that one either. But yeah. And back on the other quarterback, Joe Burrow, I saw this on Twitter the other day, and I thought it was kind of interesting. Maybe it might have been today. But it was looking at the NFL draft classes from 2020 and 2021. And this is two former number one overall picks. First time it's happened since Manning and Cam Newton met back in Super Bowl 50. But it compares the last two drafts. It doesn't compare. It just lists out the top 10 players in each draft. So I thought it'd be fun, geez, to go through each draft and just go from pick number one, pick two, pick three, and go which one I would take now. Now, it's not going who's the best player in this draft class. We're going to pin them up together. So, like, the best two players in this draft class are what? Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. Who would I take between those two? No, we're not doing that. We're taking Joe Burrow versus Trevor Lawrence. Chase, or Chase Young versus Zach Wilson. We're doing that. So starting off, I mean, I think it's pretty self-explanatory. One and two, Joe Burrow and Chase Young. So those two won Rookie of the Year, offensive and defensive, when they were in, or should, well, Joe Burrow would have if he hadn't gotten hurt. <laughs> they made it pretty easy for Justin Herbert. But Lawrence and Zach Wilson were not in that conversation. Chase Young's clear of Zach Wilson right now, and Joe Burrow had a way better rookie season than Trevor Lawrence did. Now, Trevor Lawrence, if we want to put him above Burrow, he can go to a Super Bowl this year. Burrow had a team that had four wins last year while also coming off a torn ACL. So Trevor Lawrence is on a team with three wins with a coach that's been to a Super Bowl. So if he's as good as Burrow, he should be able to take him to the Super Bowl this year. And Chase Young is one of the best edge rushers in the NFL. He got hurt this year, but he's one of the best. I think Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence will turn out to be awesome quarterbacks. But right now it's Burrow and Chase Young. But number three, I'm taking Lance over Akuda. Jeff Akuda has been kind of an interesting character since he's coming to the league. He's been kind of up and down throughout his time. And I think he tore his Achilles or something this year. He tore, he hurt something this year. And Trey Lance, I've said it last year. I'm going to keep saying it. If Trey Lance develops right, he will be the best quarterback in this draft class. He will be. Like Malik Willis this year. If Trey Lance develops right, if Kyle Shannon gets him right, he will be the best quarterback in this draft class. And he should go off this year. I'm very excited to see what Trey Lance does in San Francisco this year as a starter. Number four, Andrew Thomas versus Kyle Pitts. Probably the easiest pick out of all these picks. Uh, Andrew Thomas has sucked 
since he's coming to the NFL, and Kyle Pitts was a pro bowler this year. <laughs> Broke almost every single tight end record this year, so I'm taking Kyle Pitts. Tua versus Chase, another fairly easy one. Chase broke every single rookie receiving record. First team All-Pro, or second team. He made an All-Pro team. I don't remember which one. And Tua's just been all right at best since he's been in the NFL. Herbert versus Waddle is closer than what people would think. Waddle has had a very nice rookie year. He almost set the new record in the NFL receptions by a rookie. I could be He might have actually set it. He was on a very high pace right there. And I'm very, very excited to see how Mike McDaniel uses him in his offense this year. I will be drafting Jalen Waddle again in fantasy this year. Jalen Waddle is going to go off this year. I mean, he went off this year. So I'm expecting the same thing, but to a higher extent with Mike McDaniel as the, the new head coach. And uh, But I'm taking Herbert. Herbert's the top six quarterback in the NFL. Broke every single rookie passing record last year. I mean, it's Justin Herbert. Number seven, Sewell versus Derek Brown, the defensive tackle from the Panthers. I'm taking Sewell. I like Panay Sewell. I think the Lions, and we've talked about this before, the Detroit Lions have one of the more underrated offensive lines of the NFL when healthy. Like, Sewell, Ragnow, and Taylor Decker are very nice pieces on this O-line. And that's very nice for DeAndre Swift, their running back, and currently Jared Goff is their quarterback. I, I like their offensive line. Number eight, Isaiah Simmons versus J.C. Horn. Probably the toughest call out of this thing. I'm taking Isaiah Simmons. J.C. Horn's kind of been up and down. I think he got hurt this year as well. I like J.C. Horn coming out of college. We'll see if he does keep going. Like, Isaiah Simmons was nothing great last year. He came, became a very nice player, nice player this year for the Cardinals, but he was nothing great last year. I expect J.C. Horn to bounce back this year. And player that's on J.C. Horn's team, uh, C.J. Henderson. <laughs> he got traded from the Jacksonville Jaguars to the Carolina Panthers this offseason. I'm taking Patrick Sertan, the cornerback from Alabama. He was awesome this year for the Broncos. C.J. Henderson's already been traded. So, yeah, I'm, I'm taking <laughs> Sertan. And the number 10, Jedrick Wills versus Devontae Smith. Very close one, but I'm taking Wills. Wills is the left tackle for the best offensive line in the NFL, so I've got to take him. And Devontae Smith had a nice season, about 960 yards receiving this year. But, yeah, I'm going I'm to take Jedrick Wills right now. So that's 5-5. Five and five. Taking Burrow Young, uh, Justin Herbert, Isaiah Simmons, and Jedrick Wills from 2020 draft. And then Trey Lance, Kyle Pitts, Jamar Chase, Panay Sewell, and Pat Sertan from the 2021 NFL draft. Two, two nice draft classes. I, nothing you can really say bad about those draft classes. We'll get into the draft in a little bit here as well the the 2022 mock draft here in a little bit before that I want to talk about the greatest thing that has ever happened to the Super Bowl and it wasn't the game like the game itself I went in there having little to no expectations like though I said I was cheering for the Bengals and I thought the Bengals win it didn't really hurt me inside knowing that the Cincinnati Bengals didn't win the Super Bowl I have really no ill will towards the Rams or the Bengals. So it really didn't hurt my feelings seeing the Rams win. I know that a few of my friends from William Penn, they're from St. Louis. So they despise everything about the St. Louis Rams. And as someone from Iowa who grew up watching Kurt Warner play for the St. Louis Ravens, the greatest show on turf, maybe I should have some sort of ill will towards the LA Rams. But hey, I'm a Chicago Cubs fan. I don't like the city of St. Louis. Not that I've ever been, but I always have a little fun with St. Louis. But... The greatest thing ever in Super Bowl history, maybe just in my lifetime, because I know a lot of people really, really enjoy like Michael Jackson and Prince halftime shows, but this halftime show, even if it's just in my lifetime, that was the greatest halftime show of all time. I don't care what anybody says. I really don't have the time for it. I really don't have the time for it. Because if you didn't like that halftime show, I'm just assuming 
you're a stupid ass hat. That's all I'm going to assume about the halftime show. You had five, no, six goats on stage. Dr. Dre. We have talked about this before. Dr. Dre is the greatest producer and the greatest figurehead in all of hip-hop. Everything. Dr. Dre is the most influential, most important person in the history of rap. And then you've got Snoop Dogg, another insanely influential guy. Everybody knows Snoop Dogg. Regardless if you know rap or listen to rap or whatever, you know who Snoop D-O-double-G is. And then you got Eminem. I mean, <laughs> coming from a white guy, Eminem is by far the greatest white rapper of all time. It's not even close. I saw some things on Twitter after Mac Miller sadly passed away a few years ago saying Mac Miller was. No, stop it. I love Mac Miller. We're not putting him on that category yet. It's based... No, I'm not going to go on that one. But then we had Mary J. Blige. Awesome. Beautiful vocals. Love Mary J. Blige. One of the queens of R&B in the 2000s. Love Mary J. Blige. And then the current GOAT. K-Dot. Kendrick Lamar, Kung Fu Kenny, whatever you want to call him, the current GOAT in the rap scene right now is Kendrick Lamar. And it was awesome. And then not to mention, one of the, if not the greatest debut album of all time, just randomly popped his head out. 50 Cent. Now, I don't know if this was reported before the Super Bowl. I don't remember seeing a single thing that said 50 Cent was going to be at the Super Bowl halftime show. But that was awesome. Like, for someone that grew up with his dad playing Ice Cube, some Dr. Dre. Not a ton of Snoop Dogg, but we listen to Snoop Dogg every now and again, but run DMC. And then me growing up listening to Eminem, listening to Into Club 50 Cent, listening to Kendrick Lamar as I got older. This was my favorite halftime show ever, and it wasn't even close. And for the people complaining on t- Twitter, screw off. Like, If you were shocked or surprised by anything that was either said or done at the halftime show, you have never listened to a single second of any of these people's music. And I don't want to hear the same argument that like Ben Shapiro had a few years ago where rap isn't music. That is one of the dumbest arguments out of anything music-related or even just take-related ever. Like, this was the greatest halftime show ever. The energy was insane. Just listen to the crowd. Every single time any of these people popped their heads out, the crowd went insane. It was awesome. Now, a lot of people out there, including myself, were kind of hoping for a uh, Tupac hologram to pop its head out (laughs) when they start playing California Love. That would have been the dream, but it didn't happen. I'm not too surprised it didn't happen, but it would have been kind of funny if it did happen. People are starting to go like, well, if Tupac didn't come out for this, I guess Tupac is really dead. (laughs) Because a lot of people, uh, there's some conspiracy theories that think Tupac's still alive. So (laughs) if he didn't come out for this... He ain't coming back ever. So I think he's good. I think he's done. But man, oh man, this was awesome. Now, one gripe I have, and it's not even really a gripe at the halftime show, is that Kendrick didn't do Mad City. He did the beginning of it, but that song is awesome live for concerts. Like, if you go back, watch the 2014 NBA All-Star Game. At the peak of Good Kid Mad City, watch that performance. Good Kid Mad, or Mad City slaps in concerts. Now, I love the intro of it. And I loved all. I love the song "All Right" as well. So I'm not gonna stay here and go. I oh, shouldn't have played "All Right." Never should have played that song. No, that song's a banger. That's probably. If we're looking at the discography of Kendrick Lamar, that's probably his most well-known song. That song was even on the radio. Like that song has been everywhere. If I'm looking at like my par- people, my parents' age, or even older than that, I would imagine they heard "All Right." Maybe I which is also off to Pimp a Butterfly. I love myself. I think that's another one that's pretty popular. 
That was on the radio quite a bit, but that was awesome. Eminem playing Lose Yourself was probably the most predictable song choice out of all of them, but it was just awesome. 50 Cent into Club, even having a little, the Easter egg of him with the in the music video of Into Club where he drops down from the pull-up bar. Awesome part as well. Now, 50 looked a little big. 50 ain't really looking like what he used to look like in that music video, but that's everybody now. And then we had a few, we had another cameo from Anderson Pack on the drums. Beautiful. That was awesome for Lose Yourself. And after watching that, you'd look at everybody on stage. Dr. Dre is responsible for every single person on that stage. Jeez, I just slapped my desk. That kind of hurt. Unintentionally slapped my desk. He is responsible for every single person on that stage. Dr. Dre found Snoop and M. M found M. Uh, freaking 50 Cent. Dre found Kendrick. Dre found Mary J. Like, it's just Aftermath is the greatest record label, not just in rap, the greatest record label of all time. No one can top anything that those guys have done or are continuing to do. Like, it's insane. Eminem is one of the highest grossing rappers of all time. Dr. Dre, until recently, was the richest rapper of all time. I think P. Diddy passed him, or either it's either, it might be Kanye. Jay-Z's up there, too. It's like Jay-Z, Kanye, Dr. Dre, and P. Diddy. It's one of those guys is top. But Dr. Dre, good lord. I got chills the entire time. I've never had that for a halftime show before. I've never once at a halftime show said, turn that up. Never. Never have I once said that. That was one of the best moments of 2022. For Well, easily 2022. Best halftime show ever. I'll even go past my lifetime. It was awesome. And I, I'm, I'm not up for people bashing on Twitter. Screw you if you're the ones bashing on Twitter. Screw you for bashing on Twitter. <laughs> it was awesome. Like, if we're looking at the timeline, when I was a kid, Dr. Dre and Ice Cube were always in the car. And then we had Eminem. Eminem is what I would listen to on Pandora whenever that... I don't know if people still use Pandora, but Eminem was always my go-to on Pandora. And then when Section 80 came out, I was listening to Kendrick Lamar. This was awesome. And then my favorite album of all time is Good Kid, Mad City. I don't know if I've talked about that on the show before, but that is my favorite album of all time. I'm not saying that it's a thousand percent better than To Pimp a Butterfly, because I know most people out there would say To Pimp a Butterfly, but I have a more emotional connection with Good Kid, Mad City. Sing About Me, I'm Dying of Thirst is my favorite Kendrick Lamar song of all time. Uh, then we got How Much a Dollar Cost off of To Pimp a Butterfly, which is another great song, one of my other favorite Kendricks. The Recipe off Good Kid, Mad City. Like, there's just so, like, I was so happy. I was just so happy. I was smiling the entire time. When he brought out Good Kid, when he brought up Mad City, I was like, oh my God, he's going to do Mad City. He's going to do Mad City. He's going to do Mad City. Now, I, I was kind of surprised that we didn't get more of like, I don't know, something like where the songs that they have together, like Eminem doing the songs that he had with Dr. Dre. I know he did his verse from Forgot About Dre, or at least the, the hook of Forgot About Dre, but I thought he would go into more of like the entire song of Forgot About Dre. Snoop and Dr. Dre did their thing, but I don't really think you have like all the big songs that Snoop has are with Dr. Dre. Dre's biggest songs are with Snoop Dogg as well. So it's like those two are going to do their songs together. But Kendrick and Mary J. Blige, I thought they would have done their song or now or never, which is off Good Kid, Mad City. I don't know. Uh, Patiently Waiting would have been awesome as well. Yeah, but that being said, I didn't know 50 was going to be on there. But Patiently Waiting with 50 Cent Eminem would have been mwah. Now, it is kind of funny seeing some of the songs. Like th These songs are their, easily all their most well-known songs, which is what you expected. 
you're at a Super Bowl halftime show. You're trying to grow your brand, I guess. You're trying to reach out an audience. You've got an audience of 112 million people. So you got to try and grow that. So you're going to play the songs that everybody knows. But it, like, if you're complaining about the songs, they have... This is coming from someone that's listened to them my entire life pretty much. Eminem could have played some, for lack of a better term, terrible songs. Now, they're not terrible songs in the sense of this song sucks. No, terrible is like, oh my god, he's actually talking about that. The song F-A-C-K, that's one of them. Uh, Guilty Conscience, Kill You. Uh, all the stuff pretty much off Master, Master Mathers LP and Slim Shady LP. They've got some songs on there that should probably not get played anywhere. <laughs> At least at a, a live setting. Especially F-A-C-K. That's one that definitely should. <laughs> Kendrick doesn't really have a lot of songs like that. Uh, Snoop kind of does. Snoop has a few of them like that. <laughs> but yeah, it's awesome. Awesome, 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 awesome. And we talk about the new owner of uh, Death Row Records and Snoop Dogg. So, yeah, always good to have that. <laughs> but I, oh, my God, I was cheesing the entire time. I was absolutely cheesing. And one thing, this is kind of random. I, d I just thought about this. One thing I dislike about the Super Bowl. So we talk about something I really like about the Super Bowl, the halftime show. And then a the thing I don't like, and this is, it gets talked about on Twitter all the time in soccer realms. You see this more, and I think I might see this more just because I follow a lot of soccer pages. But the world champions thing has bothered me for years, especially in the NFL. Now, I've kind of given some sort of a pass to, like, the NBA, the MLB, and the NHL because they actually – I know it's played only in the United States apart from, like, you know, the Rap Raptors, Blue Jays, and the Canadian hockey teams. You get a lot of players from around the world that play in this league. Like, the NBA, NHL, and the MLB are the top leagues in the world. But they all have foreign players. Like, the best player in baseball right now is Shohei Otani from Japan. And you've got a ton of players from the Dominican, from Cuba, and those from Venezuela, places like that. And then you've got the NBA. Like, Luka Doncic, Nikola Jokic are two of the top players in the league. Jokic just won MVP last year. you got players like that. And then you got the NHL, I mean, obviously. I mean, you got the players from Canada, like Crosby or McDavid. But Anze Kopitar from Slovenia, I believe. He's either from Slovenia or Slovakia. I can't really remember exactly. Tuka Rask just retired, another goalie from over there. Like, Leon Dreisaitl from Germany. Like, you've got players. I'll give you some sort of a pass because your, your game gets played everywhere and you got the best players in the world playing for your league. So I understand to a certain extent or give somewhat of a pass to those leagues. The NFL is only played in America. Like, the sport of American football is only played in America. And I know we have these, like, growing leagues in, like, Germany or in Europe. We had NFL Europe in the 90s and early 2000. We got the Canadian Football League, but it's not the same. It's not the same. You know, it's very rare you see a player from overplaying in Germany that comes over to America. The only one I could think of off the top of my head is currently coming in the draft in uh, – uh, Bernard Raymond, I almost forgot his name, from Central Michigan. He played tight end and then moved to tackle at Central Michigan. But you don't see a lot of players come from Europe to go start in the NFL or become stars in the NFL. It does not happen very often. So when the NFL, when you're about, I don't know, I don't have the exact numbers about it in front of me, 99.8% of Americans, you can't say you're world champions. You can't. That is one of the cringe, like Todd, Todd McShay, Sean McVay, on the sideline after Aaron Donald made the stop of Joe Burrow in the Super Bowl, said, we're world champs, we're world champs, world champs. Screw off. No, you're not. 
There's old clips from like NFL films talking about we're world champs, baby. No, you're not. You're United States champs. You invented the sport. It's only played here. You have 99.8% Americans. Again, that's not an exact number. It's more of a spe- uh, guesstimate. But it's so cringy. I get they're trying to go over to NFL Europe to try to go over to London. They're going over to Munich this year as well to try and grow the game. That game does not catch on. And the only reason they're doing it is for money because I brought this up with the European Super League. Remember that was a thing last year where you've got these teams in England and you're in Spain and Italy and all these places that are going to try and play these massive games over in other countries. Because one thing that these teams have is a loyal fan base, okay? Worldwide fan base. But when you're in these home countries, so if like Juventus playing in Turin, a Juventus Stadium, a Manchester United in Old Trafford, or Liverpool uh, Anfield, or Barcelona at the Camp Nou, you have season ticket holders there. One thing season ticket holders do not do are people that go to games regularly, they don't buy a bunch of stuff. Like, once you get your season ticket, you're good. You'll get, like, maybe a drink or something to eat at the game. Most of the time you won't because it's super overpriced. So most of the time you won't do that. But if you do, that's what you're spending it on. But when you go to different countries or go to markets where sports aren't really the big thing there, you're going to have, like, tourists. Oh, you're going to have all these business meetings. You're going to have people buying, buying, buying. You're not going to have the loyal fan base. That's why, like, L.A., terrible market for the NFL. L.A. is not a sports town. Like, the Super Bowl parade was today. And I don't, like... I know the COVID vac, like the COVID vax cards things and stuff about how you can't go out unless you have a COVID vax card or something. But I would even argue that even if you didn't have those mandates, there would have been nobody there. No one cares about the Rams in Los Angeles. They sure as hell don't care about the Chargers. At least the Rams have somewhat of a spot in LA because they played there before. The Chargers, I guess, did in the 60s. But the Rams had been there more recently than the Chargers is what I'm trying to say. The only popular team in Los Angeles is the Raiders. And the Raiders moved to Vegas. The only popular team in the LA is Ram is the Raiders. That Super Bowl parade was tragic. Regardless of COVID situation or not, that thing was going to suck either way. No one cares about the NFL in Los Angeles. But you know why they moved there? Because they could get tourists there. They could get a lot of money from that. You don't care about your season ticket holders. You left a very passionate fan base in St. Louis to go to L.A. You threw away your loyalties at that point. You threw them away at that point. And on their stupid tour bus that said world champs on the side, you ain't world champs. Stop it. Because not only is that, you know, cringeworthy, you're getting us made fun of as Americans. We are getting made fun of for this. Everywhere on social media, world champs for a sport that you invented and only you play. Yeah, it's stupid. We don't get it either. There might be some out there, obviously, the players and coaches. That's fine. I mean, you won it, so I guess you can say whatever you want. But stop it, please. <laughs> stop. It's got to stop. And another weird thing that I saw on Twitter about American sports is giving the trophy to the owner first. And it's not like a strictly American sports thing because in the NHL, the captain gets the Stanley Cup first. So it's not like a strictly American thing, but like in the NBA, it happens. The NFL, it happens. But, like, over in Europe, the captains always get it. But I, And I understand with, like, the NFL, you have, like, six, seven captains on your team. So you're not going to have a – you're going to have to choose one person. So maybe, like, the Super Bowl MVP or something gets it. And Cooper Cup's the captain, so he could have done it anyways. But, man, 
That world champs thing, that bothers me. That has bothered me for years. It's cringy. It's awful. And now, now that the Super Bowl's over, now that garbage-ass parade's out of the way, we gotta wait a long time for football. Unless you watch the USFL. And the USFL, for those of you who are unaware, was a thing that was big in the 80s, and it took a lot of really big players to the league. It tried to rival the NFL. So you saw players like Reggie White, Herschel Walker, Jim Kelly, Steve Young, Doug Flutie. Uh, who are some other big-name players that went over there? I can't remember who exactly. But they would give massive amounts of money to these college kids to come out and try to rival the NFL. Back then, you could do that. You can't rival the NFL now. There's no th- nothing in the world that can rival the NFL in regards to an individual league. You ain't rivaling the, rivaling the NFL. And... <laughs> Today, the USFL dropped their uniforms. And these things are awful. Like, they look like, like um, what do you want to call it? Eight-man Iowa football uniforms. They're so baggy. Now, I don't know if that's just how the uniforms look on the, the, the models or something. It's going to look different when they actually have the uniforms out. Those are terrible. And they don't even look like the, the Philadelphia Stars. Those are atrocious. The, the New Orleans breakers, breakers are awful, too. The, the Michigan Panthers, weird-ass color combination. You look like West Ham United. And in their, low, their, their, their promotional video for their uniforms, they had a freaking lion in their uniforms. They're not the Lions, they're the Panthers. Like These uniforms are bad. They're really bad. And I, I've already stated my affiliation for the Houston Gamblers because of Jim Kelly, but these are awful uniforms. The Pittsburgh Maulers look like the freaking uh, Amsterdam Admirals from the XFL. Or the, not the XFL, NFL Europe. Was it Amsterdam Admirals I'm thinking of? There was another. No, it was the Frankfurt Galaxy. That's who it is. I got to look up the Frankfurt Galaxy real quick just to make sure I'm thinking of the right one. Galaxy. Yeah, yeah, it was the Frankfurt Galaxy. <laughs> so if you were wondering why I know that, I had Madden NFL 2003 on our Windows 98 computer, and you could be NFL Europe teams. I was always the Barcelona Dragons, and the Amsterdam Admirals were the team Kurt Warner played for. They were like blue, navy blue, orange, and green. They look like the for those of you who don't know what NFL Europe is, they look like the freaking Evansville Aces. Not great, not great. And the Houston Gamblers, I, I hate the stripe down the side, but these uniforms are just bad. They're just bad. Like, the logos are fine because they brought back a bunch of the old logos, but the Breakers logo is terrible. It's, it's not great. It's not great. We got that in April, and it's basically – it's <laughs> – oh, man. It's – how do I want to word this? It is football that we're going to watch, and we're going to like it for the first week or two, and then we're going to go like, wow, this sucks major cock. I don't want to watch this anymore. And then the league will fold. Because that's what happened the past two leagues, the AAF and the XFL. XFL at least had an excuse. Oh, yeah, COVID took out our season. It wasn't our dwindling fan fan attendance or fan viewership. But, like, I'm, the uniforms are not a great look. I, I don't know. It's going to be so, like, what do you call it, diluted. Once we start getting like the XFL and the AA, the AAF's done, but XFL comes back in next year, I think. So you're gonna tell me we're gonna have the AAF and the USFL on at the same time, and you're gonna try and tell me that that's gonna be, you know, that's gonna work. There's eight teams in both leagues. That ain't gonna work. You might as well just try to combine the two leagues 
And the XFL team's going to use their rules. <laughs> USFL team's going to use theirs. So you can make up whatever rules you want. It's like the it's like the AL and the NL in baseball, like when they used to have the DH for the AL only. Now it's everywhere. But it's kind of like that. We use different rules over here in the USFL than the XFL. We're going to view it like that. So you have 16 teams. I think that would be more profitable and way less chance of failing than having both leagues go on at the exact same time. But I, I would put money on the USFL folding halfway through the season again. Because we're stupid Americans that love football. That's exactly why this thing's existing again. Because we love football. The need for football is massive, which is why they threw away player safety and added that 17th game this year. Oh, it's oh, football's here. We're going to watch it. They're going to watch it. Yeah, I'm going to watch it. Am I going to like it? No, I'm going to cry the entire time because I know I'm watching some garbage football. Like I could, When the USFL and the XFL are competing with one another, I could probably go out for a tryout there. And I'll still probably make that. No, I won't. I won't. I haven't played football in a while, and I, I probably shouldn't for health reasons anyways. <laughs> so I, got, I should probably stick away from football for now. But, yeah, I'm not. I'm, I'm a weird feeling of a kind of excited – Kind of excited for the XFL because I'm, I'm intrigued to see what this stupid thing looks like. I'm very intrigued. Like, there's an NFL Films thing, and I would always, I always recommend NFL Films to people. NFL Films is my favorite documentary series, like team ever. They have been at every single football game ever. Like they have every single thing you could look for. They have a very good documentary about the USFL. I would recommend you watch that. If you don't know what the USFL is or the history of the USFL and how they tried to actually rival the NFL, I would very much recommend you watch that because it is a lot of fun. It is a whole lot of fun. And then you get to see how disappointed all these players went back to their teams. Like Jim Kelly goes to the Bills. Uh, Steve Young goes to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. All these players went to these garbage teams. Doug Flutie went to Canada. Like, it <laughs> it just did not. No, he went to the he went to the, the Patriots first. No, Bears or Patriots? Which one was it first? I think it was the Bears. Those were his first two teams in the NFL, but I don't remember which one was which. Patriots was also his last team, but I don't remember which one was which. Which one was first. But with that out of the way, talking about the USFL coming in, I have had this up on the Logan Blackman Show website since Monday, and I edited it yesterday, and I'm upset that I'm already over an hour. So this is going to take a while. We're going to do this, the quick notes version, pretty much, of this. I don't want to go over an hour. I really don't want to talk about this for an hour. But Mock Draft 1.0 is officially out. Give Logan a round of applause for Mock Draft 1.0. Very excited for Mock Draft 1.0 to be out. We've done a few Mock Drafts recently. I think the last one we did was back in December, but like the pre-bowl season draft. But this is the officially official Mock Draft 1.0. Okay? Officially official. I put that in the front of for start of it as well. So it says it was, <laughs> it was posted three days ago. It was updated a day ago. Because I was sitting there and I was rushing it. I was trying to get this stupid thing out on Monday because I was like, oh, I'm not going to record a show. So I'll have it out on Monday. Talk about it Wednesday. Didn't record Wednesday. <laughs> and Monday when I released it, I was like, oh, I don't really like that. So then I edited it yesterday and said, hey, I edited this. <laughs> Look at it again, please. So yeah, I, I think this is good. I, I like this one a lot more than the one I did. And there's a few that I still have like, you know, I'm questioning, but it's out. I'm not going to edit anymore. But number one, Jacksonville are going to take a tackle. I think that... Hutchinson and Thibodeau are going to be in the mentions up there. But you have a young quarterback in Trevor Lawrence. You need to draft a tackle. You need to protect him, especially with Cam Robinson being a free agent and expecting a big payday. You got to go after even Akonwu from NC State or Evan Neal. I like Akonwu a lot. And in some of his game, I would rank him higher than Neal. But 
I think as of right now, again, this is subject to change, but I'm going to give them Evan Neal. I was very close to picking a Conwu in this, but I went with Evan Neal. I love his versatility. He's played every single offensive line position apart from center in his Alabama career. 6'7", 350 pounds. He's exactly what you're looking for in regards to a frame for an offensive tackle. And I feel like that'd be the kind of guy they're looking for. Give, give Trevor Lawrence a bookend left tackle for the next, hopefully, 10 years in Jacksonville. Number two, Detroit. Best player available. That, that's pretty much it, and it's it's Aiden Hutchinson. Get a Detroit native, I mean, Plymouth, but it's about a half hour away, so we're, we're going to count it there. They need help on defense. Their defense is atrocious. They need help there. Get the best defensive player in the draft, best overall player in the draft. Hutchinson's a very aggressive, powerful edge rusher who exploded this year, finished second in the Heisman race, dominated Ohio State. So, yeah, it wasn't just the Ohio State game. I know a lot of people have kind of turned it into that. Some people out there are like, oh, he only he's only the top player in the draft because of the Ohio State game. No, he had a very, very good season prior to the Ohio State game, but just how much he dominated and how much he tanked Nicholas Petit-Ferrer's draft stock in that game, he's got to be the number one player in the draft. Number three, the Texans. Uh, it's either go- I was stuck on this one, to be honest. It's either going to be Thibodeau or, St- or Hamilton. I think Hamilton's better. I like Kyle Hamilton a lot. Kyle Hamilton, I have had in my top three players of the draft since, like, the start of the season, pretty much. I love myself some Kyle Hamilton, but the problem is there's been one safety draft in the top five in the NFL draft since 2005, and that was Sean, or 2004, Sean Taylor, drafted by the Washington, now Commanders, number four, number five overall. And though I think Kyle Hamilton could reach that, that level, and I think he's more than a football player, or more than a safety, I think he's just a football player, I think the Texans will look for an edge rusher. This team does not get to the quarterback that often. They don't. And now with Lovey Smith coming in, as the head coach, they're gonna need some head. They're gonna need some edge rushers. They had 32 sacks last year, good for joint fifth worst in the league. They're gonna need some edge rushers. And Kayvon Thibodeau, though I think he could slide, and I think he could be one of those surprise sliders in the draft. I'd have him here at three. I, they need to get some sort of pressure at the quarterback, and they're in a division with some mobile quarterbacks, some young quarterbacks. So, because the Colts might have a new quarterback this year, like there's a report just the other day that said Carson Wentz is likely to get cut or traded. So. Could have another young quarterback, but Tannehill and Lawrence for two quarterbacks that were guaranteed to be there next year, you're going to need some help after getting after the passer. I think Thibodeau could do that. Number four, the New York Jets. I struggled with this one because, like the Texans, I was baking, basically going back and forth between a Conwoo and Hamilton. I think the Jets could really use someone like Hamilton. I really like someone like Hamilton, especially since Marcus May, their safety, is a free agent. But that being said, I think Joe Judge would love to protect his number two overall pick from last year, Zach Wilson, who got beat up a lot this year. And from what reports say, I don't know if this is true or not, because it's a report in freaking February, the Jets don't like Mekhi Becton. They are done with Mekhi Becton, from what it sounds like. They like George Fant, and it sounds like they're going to move George Fant to left tackle. Played right tackle this year. Sounds like George Fant's going to take over at left tackle. Whether you play him at left tackle or right tackle, Okonwu would solidify the offensive line. And again, I would not be surprised if he went number one overall. Really wouldn't be surprised. Mauler is what you would call him. Absolute mauler in the run game, which is exactly what the Jets are looking for. Robert Sala came from San Francisco. They drafted Michael Carter last year. They're going to look to establish some sort of a run game. Not only would that help the team in general, it would keep the pressure off Zach Wilson. So I think Akon will be a perfect fit for the New York Jets. Number five, Charles Cross. Tackle from from Mississippi State. Good Lord. Giants O-line stinks. It's very bad. Before the season started, we talked about how this line might be the worst in the NFL. Andrew Thomas has not panned out. Nate Solder is 30, what, 34 going on 35 or something like that? No, he's turning 34 in April. 
they need something on the old line. And also, Billy Price and Will Hernandez are also free agents. So you've got th- three starters on free agents. <laughs> that friggin' Andrew Thomas stinks. So you're going to need to get a tackle in here. Charles Cross is very polarizing to me because he didn't have a lot of run blocking t- t- time at Mississippi State. They were near, they were the worst team in the college football in running the ball, rushed your attempts this season, and yards. So that makes me nervous. Good pass block, really good pass block. The best pl- pure pass blocker in this draft, 719 pass blocking snaps and only 16 pressures. That is very impressive. But this does give me kind of Andre Dillard vibes. Not necessarily because of these are going to be the exact same players, but because it came from a Mike Leach system. And at the time, right before the draft, Andre Dillard was seen as the best tackle in the draft, and they went 21st overall to Philly. So I think Charles Cross could go anywhere from 5 all the way down to 20 to Pittsburgh. There is a wide-ass range. There's 15 slots Charles Cross could go to. And if you develop him right, he could be a very, very good tackle at the next level. But he is a very what I would call a very polarizing prospect because he didn't have a lot of reps as run block. So there's just that. Uh, number six, Kenny Pickett going to Carolina. I just think this is like the Kyler Murray situation in Arizona. Like, they have other needs on their roster. Like, their O-line stinks. They're going to need some sort of help in the secondary. But my gut just tells me Kenny Pickett. They got Sam Darnold. Before they trade for Sam Darnold, they accepted his fifth-year option. So you're already committed to him financially right now, which is going to suck. So trading for a quarterback kind of seems out of the question. I mean, I could be wrong about that. But no one's going to take Sam Darnold's contract on. No one. So you'd be smart to draft a quarterback. With how much Matt uh, Matt Rule has been switching around the quarterback position, he's going to want his guy. And though they thought it was Sam Darnold, it ain't. Sam Darnold ain't it. So you got to go out and draft a quarterback. And Kenny Pickett was recruited by Matt Rule in high school. Committed to Temple, and then Matt Rule went to Baylor. Kenny Pickett went to Pitt. Balled out. And like we said after the Senior Bowl, I don't think anything's really changed in my mind in regards to who the best quarterback in this draft class is at this point in time. So I think Kenny Pickett to Carolina just makes too much sense not to happen. Like the Cardinals, when they drafted Kyler, they needed edge rushers really bad. They could have used offensive linemen there as well. They didn't. They got Kyler Murray, and it's worked out pretty well. I mean, Kyler Murray's going into a little bit of his feelings right now, but Kyler Murray's worked out. (laughs) Cliff Kingsbury's getting carried by Kyler Murray right now. So, yeah, if Kyler Murray ever leaves, Cliff Kingsbury, gone. And I think that'd be best for the NFL because I've never liked Cliff Kingsbury. But I like Kenny Pickett. And I would think Matt Rule will get a long chance at Carolina, and I think Kenny Pickett would be a guy that Matt Rule would finger would circle as a guy he would want. Uh, next, number seven, Kyle Hamilton going to the Giants. I don't like Kyle Hamilton going this deep. I saw Todd McShay's mock draft today, and I liked the first seven picks. I really liked it. So he had, if I'm remembering right, Neil Hutchinson, Hamilton to the Texans, Akonwu, Thibodeau to the Giants, Amon Sauce Gardner of the Panthers, and then uh, Charles Cross, number seven. I like that a lot. I really like that. So, because I would not be surprised if Houston went and took Kyle Hamilton. I would not be surprised at all. I think Kyle Hamilton's way better than the seventh overall pick. And with Thibodeau possibly slipping down the draft order, I would not honestly be surprised by that. But with how this one worked out, Kyle Hamilton goes to New York at seven. And the reason behind that is I think Kyle Hamilton's a better player for talking about prospects than Charles Cross. But my thought process was why I had Charles Cross going fifth instead of seventh was that the Panthers are going to be looking for an offensive tackle. Their offensive tackles are not very good. They traded away Greg Little this offseason to the freaking Miami Dolphins after they drafted him in the second round of 2020. So their tackles are not great. They have skill positions. They obviously have Christian McCaffrey. They have some good wide receivers. 
But I think the Giants looking at it like, we need a tackle really bad. The Panthers also need a tackle. So we're going to take the tackle before the Panthers are up so we can make sure we solidify that spot, if that makes any sense. So they would let the next position go to seven, and whether it be an edge rusher or safety, they would take it. And I think with Joe Schoen and Brian Dable both coming from Buffalo and both of them having a background, or not necessarily a background, but being a part of a team that had the best safety tandem in the NFL, I think they would. this would very much entice them about drafting Kyle Hamilton because of the fact you had Poyer and Hyde and New York or New Jersey, you have Xavier McKinney, second-round draft pick from Bama, who's looking very nice, and Jabril Peppers is a free agent. And Kyle Hamilton, like we already talked about, is more than just a safety. This dude will do everything. He'll play linebacker, he'll play free safety, he'll play a strong safety. He even played corner. Like this dude, the best center fielder and the best on-the-ball rushing safety in the draft as well. This dude can do everything. So I don't think he'll fall to seven, but if he does, the Giants will be stupid not to draft him with their defense being as weird as it was last year. Number eight, the Falcons taking David Ojabo. I love David Ojabo. I think he's a very uh, developmental piece. He's really had only one year of stuff that he did at Michigan this year. And I could get, to a certain extent, the people that come out and argue that Aiden Hutchinson eased his numbers this year because Aiden Hutchinson was so dominant that Ojabo just basically fed off the scratch when they would double-team Hutchinson. I understand that to a certain extent. But with how athletic he is and how, low, how little football experience he has, he's only been playing football for five years. Like, Ojabo, if you're looking for a de- developmental edge rusher, I would definitely take him, especially now the Falcons just cut Dante Fowler and he was their leading sack leader last year. He had four and a half sacks last year. The Falcons were dead last in the NFL in sacks with 18. 11 behind the next closest team. They need some help in the edge rusher spot and the Falcons take David Ojabo eight. Number nine, the Broncos taking Devin Lloyd. Quarterback's an option here, but I think they got Nathaniel Hackett like we talked about before to get Aaron Rodgers. That was my thought process behind that. Now, obviously, they get Rodgers, the ninth pick will ball in the Green Bay. But I think the Broncos will be looking for someone in free agency, regardless if it's uh, Hack or uh, Rodgers or someone else. But Devin Lloyd, the Broncos need help on defense. They need help at linebacker. They need help at linebacker pretty bad. And Devin Lloyd can do everything. After watching Micah Parsons last year, Devin Lloyd is in that mold in regards to a linebacker that was seen as a middle linebacker who had to do everything in regards to rushing the pass or dropping back in coverage, making plays in the run game, whatever. Devin Lloyd's that. Like 6'3", 235 pounds, athletic freak, made 100-and-something tackles this year with eight sacks, which is as which is more than Kayvon Thibodeau. So we're talking about <laughs> this dude is a just flat-out, straight-up baller from Utah. Love Devin Lloyd. And the Broncos passed on freaking Mac Jones and Justin Fields last year. What makes you think they went past on a quarterback here and was seen by most people as the most historically worst draft class of all time for quarterbacks, which is not. Because I could go back to the Jamarcus Russell draft and see Brady Quinn also in the first round, or the EJ Manuel draft, or drafts like that. Garbage drafts. <laughs> or the, the Tim Couch draft. I mean, you know I had Don McNabb too, but Tim Couch and Achilles Smith, one and three, not great. Uh, number 10, the Jets need secondary help. Their defense sucked last year. And with Robert Sala being a defensive coach, he's going to want <laughs> some corner help. Their secondary didn't get a pick until the Bills game. That was late in the season. Their first interception was by Shaq Lawson this season. D-lineman. They need some help in the secondary. And Ahmad Sauce Gardner is awesome. Robert Sala worked in San Francisco, as we talked about before. And he worked with a corner by the name of Richard Sherman, who is one of the longer corners in NFL history, about 6'3", probably, uh, what, I don't know, but 190, 95 pounds, something like that. Ahmad Gardner is the same thing. Ahmad Gardner does not get beat deep, ever. Like, Ahmad Gardner just allowed one point, or not one point, point one 
yards per covered snap last year. That's insane. That is absolutely insane. <laughs> He's the first Cincinnati player ever to be a named consensus All-American. Like, this dude's an absolute baller. Since he's so big, he doesn't get beat over the top ever, and he's fast enough to not get beat deep ever, too. Like, I love Ahmad Sauce Gardner. I love this dude. I think he'd be perfect for the Jets. Now I'm going to try and, like, go a little faster here, go over some picks that I think are the most interesting, I guess. Number 11, the Washington Commanders. The new Washington Commanders, personally, again, I like the Washington Foreskins, but they need a quarterback. I, I like Taylor Heineke. I have no real beef with Taylor Heineke, I just think he's very limited in what he could do. I know he's got the locker room galvanized behind him, but he doesn't move the needle for me as much as like looking at someone for a franchise quarterback. To me, I think Washington should look for Malik Willis. I think he'd be awesome here. Malik Willis, I like I've said numerous times, we talked about it a little bit ago as well with Trey Lance, Malik Willis, if developed right, will be the best quarterback in this draft class. Will be. His skill set, we've said this since the start of the season even before the start of the season. His skill set makes him arguably the high, not arguably, he has the highest potential at any quarterback in this draft class. No one can throw as hard as him. He has the strongest arm at any quarterback in this draft class, including Carson Strong on that. I think Carson Strong, we've said this before, throws a better deep ball, which doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense. But Carson Strong, I think, puts more touch on his deep balls. I think Malik Willis's throws are more on a line, which can, you know, kind of wane on the accuracy thing a little bit. And his arm, he thinks he's got the strongest arm in the world, which he does. <laughs> it can sometimes get into trouble where he thinks he can fit a ball in every single hole, and it sometimes does not work. Or he'll overthrow receivers, or the ball will be too low and underthrow receivers. You saw that in the Senior Bowl a little bit on some of the hitch routes they ran on the outside. A lot of balls on the line. And his running game, no, like, what quarterback is touching him in this draft class? No one. Like, I, if we're talking about numbers, yeah, sure, like Sam Howell was up there with rushing numbers, but he's not the same athlete as Malik Willis. He's not. And I like Sam Howell. I, I, I like Sam Howell quite a bit. So I, that's how much I think of Malik Willis, where I think he's so far above everybody in return to just natural skill set that he could be the first quarterback in this draft class taken while also being the best quarterback in the next five years. It's the Josh Allen effect. I'm not saying that he is Josh Allen or will become Josh Allen, but if you're just looking at natural ability, Malik Willis is that guy. And I think Washington would love to have him at number 11. What other picks on here are kind of like interesting? A Tyler Lindebaum will go with an Iowa guy going to the Ravens. Bradley Bozeman's a free agent. Even if they bring him back, he's a below average center. He's a decent, uh, no, nah, I wouldn't say he's an average to below average center. And he's a decent guard. He's played guard every single year of his career until this year. So I think adding someone like Linderbaum, who is probably next to like Akonwu, the best run blocker in this draft class, I think this would make a lot of sense it's for the Ravens, who especially have a run game, is to keep likes of Lamar healthy, is to keep J.K. Dobbins healthy. I understand the tackle thing because Alejandro Villanueva sucked major cock this year. So I would understand the, the tackle look going like Trevor Penning here. But I had a hard time falling, having Linderbaum fall pretty far in this draft. <laughs> I had, I struggled with it. Uh, number eighteen, the Saints. I had them taking Matt Corral. They need a quarterback. They are seventy-six million dollars over the cap this year. They have two quarterbacks on the roster, and Taysom Hill and Ian Book. They ain't bringing anybody in this offseason. They need a quarterback, and Matt Corral would be the first quarterback they have taken in the first round since Archie Manning. So I would love this. I think this makes too much sense. Another Ole Miss dude. The last guy they drafted in the first round was an Ole Miss guy. The next guy they drafted in the first round is an Ole Miss guy. 
Matt Corral, if you're looking for leaders, is probably the best leader in this draft class. Very mobile. He's gotten smarter with the football, which is one of the big knocks I had him on him before the season started. He only had two games where he had 11 interceptions. Or he threw 11 interceptions over the span of two games. You know how hard that is to do? <laughs> but Corral's awesome. I, I think his biggest concern, which is also one of his strengths, weirdly enough, is his toughness. And the reason I think it's a strength is because, oh, he won't leave the field. You're not going to worry about him. Oh, is he going to play? Is he going to play? Like the Jimmy G effect. But then it's also like, okay, you are very hurt. You need to go see a doctor or something. And it winds up getting him hurt even worse. So like in the bowl game, when they played Baylor, he got hurt and thankfully they took him out. But like against Auburn, he got hurt against Auburn. Probably should have left the game. He got carted off and then came back onto the field. So it's a, I think it's a blessing and a curse for Matt Corral. I like Corral. I like him a lot. And I think the Saints would be very smart to take him here at 18. Number 20, the Steelers. Quarterbacks likely, but after Corral, I don't see another quarterback really deserving of a first-round spot. I think Howell kind of built up a, what do you want to call it, a rapport with some people with his play during the Senior Bowl. But it's obvious the Steelers like Malik Willis. It's obvious. They're all around him the entire Senior Bowl week. Like he, Malik Willis is their guy. But if you, this draft doesn't have traits. So if you don't trade up, you're not getting Malik Willis. Malik Willis is not falling to 20. Malik Willis will not fall past 11. I'm very confident in saying that. He will not fall past 11. That's how I'm feeling right now. Obviously, that's subject to change. But right now, I don't think there's a chance in hell Malik Willis falls past 11. I think the Steelers' ideal trade partners, the Jets at 10. So you jump Washington, only trade up 10 spots. They've traded up to number 10 before with the Broncos to take Devin Bush. Do it again. Jump the Washington football team, take Malik Willis, and then you're good. But their old line stinks. If they don't get a quarterback, they need to go after an off to lineman. Like, Najee Harris got over 1,000 yards this year, basically despite his off to line. Like, getting someone like Trevor Penning would be awesome for the Steelers. He just feels like a Steelers player. Just feels like one. Hard-working dude. I, and he can play both right tackle, right, left guard. Or no, jeez, okay. He played left tackle and right tackle while at UNI, and he played right guard at some points throughout the Senior Bowl. So wherever you want to play him, he'll play and be a dominant force for their off the line. Uh, the Buffalo Bills, my team, uh, Zion Johnson from Boston College, guard from Boston College. Zion Johnson is one of the easier players to cheer for in this draft class. Like, the dude was a no-star recruit that played at Davidson, a triple option school, and pioneer football league, which for those of you unaware is a non-scholarship league at the FCS level, pioneered that, see what I did there, to a place at Boston College and became a first-team All-American. We're talking run blocking. He's another very good run blocker. I mean, you're playing for Davidson and Boston College. You're bound to become a decent run blocker. Whether you run block before you're not or not, you're going to develop into one. And he dominated the Senior Bowl dominated. And I think what people like about him a lot, Davidson, he played some left tackle, played some at Boston College, mostly played at left guard, and then at the senior bowl, he played center. The Bills need to upgrade their interior line. They need to. If you listen to the show at all during the season, one of the things I'd bitch about more than anything was the Bills' interior off the line. Now, I said as the season went on, after Ryan Bates got put in the off the line, the low line got a thousand times better. But this needs to, they need to upgrade that. And I saw something today, it was an article today, and I know we talk about Joe Burrow getting sacked a shit ton, getting sacked 70 times this season, but some things do go down in regards to how the quarterback is able to move away from it. Like the Bills rate second in avoiding sacks, allowing takedowns on just 4.12% of dropbacks. 
Only Tom Brady was higher, and Patrick Mahomes ranked third. Like, it's... Then we got... Where's the other one? Okay. Uh, what pre- percentage of those pressures turned into sacks? Allen was the only... Was the best of any starting quarterback in the NFL, according to Pro Football Focus. Only 10%... 10.6% of his pressures turned into sacks. 10.6! Like, who was the worst taking sacks in the face of pressure? Baker Mayfield, Zach Wilson, Joe Burrow, Ben Roethlisberger. And Breaker Mayfield's got the best of life football. So that says a lot. Oh, my goodness. Now we keep going on. Expand. Crap, my computer froze. That's not really ideal. <laughs> my, my, la- my, uh, my photo album froze. That's where I got the screenshot, so I can't really look at it right now. That's not really ideal. Ah, crap. Well, we don't have that, but <laughs> either way, the Bills need to upgrade. You can't just keep banking on the fact that Josh Allen's bigger, faster, stronger than everybody on the defensive side of the ball. You can't keep banking on that. And not only would this help Josh Allen, Zion Johnson would instantly improve the Bills' rush attack. The Bills' run attack, as the season went on, got better because, like we said, the O-line play got better. And they started going from the pass to set up the run rather than the run to set up the pass. It didn't work. Adding someone like Johnson would elevate Singletary and Josh Allen's level to maybe not stratosphere levels for Singletary, but stratospheric levels for Josh Allen. Uh, anybody else that's really in... Okay, the Bengals, we'll talk about them. Daniel Falele from Minnesota. Six foot nine, 380 pounds. Guy is, hot, guy is big as 410 at one point. Right tackle, which is the side of the line the Bengals need to work on the most. Minnesota, very run-heavy team. Very, very, very run-heavy team. Always have been. And they led, they had three running back, two starters get hurt at running back this year. Two starters. And their third string back came in, and the the Golden Gophers still averaged almost 200 yards per game rushing the ball. Like, that's insane for how little of running backs they had towards the end of the year. To end up averaging almost 200 yards a game, which is ranked third in the Big Ten, is very impressive. Very, very impressive. Now, for as big as he is, I'm not saying he moves, he's extremely fleet footed. But for how big as he is, 6'9", 380 pounds, he moves very, very well. He bullies people. He's an absolute bully. And for the Bengals, we need to keep Joe Burrow upright while also establishing, giving Joe Mixon some more linemen to run through. I think Falele would be perfect. I think he'd be absolutely perfect. And I think that's where I'm going to end it. We have a second round in here as well. But again, make sure you go and check out the mock draft in full on the LoganBlattmanShow.com. Go to the blog page or scroll down on the main page and click the link down below. I would greatly appreciate it if you checked that out. Give it a heart as well if you really feel obligated to. And with that, I think I'm going to end it there. I really enjoyed today's show. This one was a thousand times better than the first one we did. So if you really hated this one, imagine how bad the other one was. Like, that was an atrocity of a show. And my photo album is still not working. Control, op- I took a screenshot. Command, what is it? Control, op- command option escape? Yeah. Okay, quit my photos here. Try not to quit anything else. Force quit photos. I'm not really trying to force quit my <laughs> my garage bed. That would be very upsetting. What happened here? What happened here? Okay, that's a little this is a little better. <laughs> I can actually go through things now. But yeah, that's all I've got for you today. I really hope you enjoyed the show. If you did not, I ultimately apologize. Leave a rating on Apple Podcast and Spotify though and of course, make sure you're subscribed to it as well. I've been Logan Blackman, DeMar DeRozan for MVP and I will see you all later. Peace.